0: Good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to all of you. Come on in, have a seat. I'm on deck for tonight, apparently. We'll use this microphone to sing, sing with. There you go. Devin's here. Never mind. Thank you, Devin.
1: Good evening and welcome. Uh, we are going to start our song service this evening with a shelter in the time of storm. Isn't it comforting to know that that is what our God is? He's a shelter to us. He's a shield to us. He guards and protects us. Second song, God leads us along. Song? Always the same. Aren't you glad our God is always the same? His truth Amen. reigns forever. Always the same.
0: Sad, isn't it? Okay, there we go. So, I was saying this is the week you don't want to be associated with Southeast Bath, It's been a rough week. So, um, Brother Chuck's here. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll let him tell us if I need to fill in something. Brother Chuck was uh, diagnosed on Monday with um, some kind of multi-what kind of cancer? Well, <laughs> multi-what? That, okay. So, it's a blood cancer. Um, it's treatable but not, but not curable, uh, at least not by doctors. So uh, he begins next Monday with his first round of some kind of chemo, not chemo, but to some kind of uh, injection in his bone marrow. Eventually leading to bone marrow transplant, his own bone marrow, but treated bone marrow with, uh, with chemo. So it's going to be an interesting ride in the next few weeks and months. So, uh, pray for Bo Chuck, and of course, then I'm, I'm assuming they have to maintain that somehow over the next. They said uh, you know, the prognosis is 10 to 20 years, so, um, but it's treatable but not curable. Robert uh, Murray has also been diagnosed with bone cancer. Uh, he he's started in his kidney, as far as they can tell, it metastasized to his spine and his hip. Um, they're going to go in and remove his kidney completely. Um, sometime soon, I think May 5th, they might have said, the first week of May. Um, but um, he's having some tests run tomorrow, so they're home doing some prep work for those tests today. So, um, waiting to hear what his prognosis is. Um, it's I'm telling you, his problem a little more immediate in seriousness, uh, in the fact that it's metastasized already, and... They were already treating it very, very seriously, so um, pray for Robert and, and Jeanette. In fact, I'll read you what Jeanette said. It was, um, it's sweet and uh, will hopefully be an encouragement to you. I won't read it all to you because it's kind of long, but it says, uh, thank you for the prayers and support. Um, it means so much and we uh, to us and to our family and our church family, whom have been an encouragement and continued uh, to to be more than we can say second uh, Corinthians chapter one verses three and four we know that Robert is in the hands of a loving and great god we are leaning and trusting in our god as we know Robert is in his all-powerful and merciful hand and uh, proverbs three five and six love to all Robert and Jeanette so if you would remember them in your prayers i know that they would appreciate it uh, Adam Campbell. This is Dennis's son. Uh, he has the teenage daughter he and his wife come. They sit. They sit usually up here. Sometimes, sometimes over there. But anyway, um, he was in a pretty bad accident on Monday. All this happened on Monday. As far as the, it just was amazing. But anyway, uh, he was in a pretty bad accident on Monday. He's back home. Uh, he had a concussion. He's beaten up and bruised up. Nothing broken. Car's totaled. Uh, so just pray for Adam. He'd appreciate that for recovery. Uh, Dave and Cindy Rawlings are both sick. Dave has, uh, they both have COVID. Dave's COVID has its taken a bad turn for him. He's really struggling with it. So if you would uh, pray for them, I know that they would appreciate that. Uh, Richard and Debbie Hoke, pray for them as uh, Richard's still going through some things. And that means Miss Debbie's going through some things as well. Uh, Skeet had to go in and uh they didn't like on Monday what they saw in his infection, so they said, we're going to do another surgery. They did that surgery, cleaned him out again. They're going to keep him till tomorrow, uh, and hopefully, the doctors told him that this is, he's looking at weeks, not days in recovery. Uh, they had to, they went ahead and canceled their uh, cruise that they had scheduled for next week, so uh, just pray for Skeet and Carol. Uh, Steve Kempton, Steve and Karen, I usually sit over there on that side. Um, uh, they bring foster children with them from time to time. They've joined just recently, maybe the last six months. Anyway, um, he, they, he's got a mass on his lung. Uh, they do not believe it's, it's a tumor. They believe it's a mass of infection uh, because he went through a similar thing just last April, a year ago, which hospitalized him for several days. Um, They wanted him to go to the hospital this time and he said no, he wants to stay home. So they're treating him with aggressive uh, anti-inflammatories and antibiotics at home to see if it'll work. So if you would pray for Steve Kempton. Um, So All all those were prayer chains that went around on Monday if you're on the prayer chain uh, list here. Uh, So it was kind of a rough uh, start to our week. Uh, Sometime last night or today, uh, Jaden Goins is a Student at Pensacola, 19 year old student. Um, a truck, apparently, the, an impaired driver came off the road onto the campus property, hit him, and killed him. Uh, his parents are missionaries in Honduras. I don't know them, uh, but there are connections to people in our church that do know the family. So, uh, anyway, just uh, pray for the Goins family as they are dealing with that. It's a lot of a lot of heavy prayer requests as we start uh, the night. We'll stop here. We'll let you have prayer time at the end. But if you just kind of remember those people in your prayers, uh, I know they'd appreciate it. Father, we we come to you just, uh, it's a little overwhelming to uh, have all of the news that we share tonight. But Lord, we know that you are a good and gracious God. and You are in charge and in control. And nothing is beyond you and nothing is beyond your power, your grace. And God, we pray that you would be with all of these folks, that you would... Uh, uh, give them a peace that passes understanding, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Use these circumstances that you're allowing in their lives to uh, to bring glory and honor to your name, to give them an opportunity to share the gospel like never before. Uh, it's, as it's often that people will listen to them now in ways that they wouldn't have listened to them before. I uh, pray that you would just uh, heal up, give doctors wisdom, uh, be with this family in uh, Honduras that you would just uh, encourage and uplift them as they I'm sure uh, have so many things going much like we just went through with Klingemans and just pray that you would just watch over all of them. Ask that you would uh, meet with us tonight in a very special way be with our teenagers and our college students and singles as they're meeting in other parts of the buildings here and, and uh, just uh, we'll thank and praise you for all that you do in Jesus name we pray amen. This year with the spring breaks, it's been really different. Usually our spring breaks overlap, and this year they're not overlapping much, so if FC's out this week, FC's out next week, Suburban's out the following week. Uh, when is Colonial out? Anybody know when Colonial's out? Nobody knows when Colonial's out, so the Colin's here, so I know he, uh, he goes to Colonial, but uh, he's here, so. Uh, but anyways, so it just kind of interrupts with some of the stuff that we're doing when there's spring break and people gone, and just all that kind of stuff, so just uh, pray for teens and young people. And then pray tomorrow, our, uh, our Wana kids are supposed to be going to the Creation Museum tomorrow, and if you've been paying attention to the weather, uh, we have about two inches of rain coming our way tomorrow, so pray for Traveling Mercies uh, for them, that uh, that would, that that would uh, just work out well for them. All right. Okay, let's jump back into our study, Take the Lead. We're using this little book, it's, it's got 25 of these, and we're, we're going to get to number, number 17 tonight, Lord willing. And uh, it's, I've been trying to do three a week and just push through it. But I've, I hope it's not been boring to you. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Uh, it's a father writing letters to his son. The book is like this thick. Uh, each chapter is only like two or three pages. It's literally just dad writing a little note to his son on how to be uh, a good leader. I've taken that and adapted it to, to rather than focusing on leadership, to focus on being used by God. If we'll take these, th- these same uh, these same pieces of advice, which are biblical uh, biblical uh, in their uh, manner, then we can, what it'll do is it'll prepare us to be used by god and we 've been focusing that on second Timothy chapter two or first Timi- second Timothy chapter two, uh, where God walks into his kitchen right, and not all vessels are the same some are some are gold and silver and some are wood and clay and but uh but the thing that makes them vessels of honor is not what they're made out of. It's not whether or not you have great talent, great looks, uh, you know, great wealth. It's not what we're made out of that makes us a vessel of honor. In that passage, if you read it, it says if, <coughs> excuse me, if we purge ourselves from the sins of the world, it, has, it kind of goes through this in the chapter, if we purge ourselves from these things, then we are a vessel unto honor, meet or just right, for the Master's use. And that's the idea, that we just be ready and prepared to be used by God at any given time. And uh, so that's what these things will do for you. This next one, it's a little bit odd in, that in the, the crowd that we're looking at it for. If I was writing this as I was talking to a group of teenagers, this might make a little more sense, but... Honestly, you're going to be able to figure out that it makes perfect sense as we look at it. Here is, uh, let me turn this on first. There we go. Uh, so here is uh, his next point: love your mom. Love your mom. Now, of course, he's writing to his teenage son. He was writing to his teenage daughter. He might have said, you know, love your dad. I don't know. Um, but I want us to focus on this concept. Uh, we are in a weird, weird, weird situation, and we're going to kind of look at that tonight uh, in our world and l- if we could grab hold of this principle, we can change a lot of things. Exodus chapter 20 uh, that's the what's found in Exodus chapter 20 the Ten Commandments all right Honor thy father and mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee is the first commandment with promise, according to uh, the book of Ephesians or Colossians, whichever it is, that the days may be long upon the earth. So, why is this important? Why is it so important that we, that we get this message across to love mom? And, and I'm going to tell you uh, that uh, this is on us. It's not on our kids. I mean, while I'm hoping that our kids that would, would get this message, it's really on us. We have to mirror this. And the idea is to elevate, to elevate parents and parenting we are in a situation I do not get it um, okay so uh, things popping in my head and this morning I was you know, there, there used to be a bumper sticker that read something like this you can have my gun when you pry it from my cold dead fingers right and uh, we say that with pry yeah you can and yet we are handing our children off to the state to be raised by them in ways that don't make sense at all. And I want us to change this in our mindset. I want us to be saying about our kids and our grandkids, you can have my kids when you pride them for my cold, dead hands. But I am not surrendering my kids to a group of people who say your eight-year-old, your nine-year-old should be allowed to make up their own minds on gender. This is ridiculous. And I'm telling you, this is so insidious that it's working its way into our churches. You might be shocked how many people sitting in fundamental Baptist churches think that their pastors are making way too big a deal out of this and that kids should have the right. I mean, you know, after all, we're supposed to love everybody. But supposed to, this has nothing to do with loving people. We want to love people enough to give them the truth. But the reality is, this is called child abuse. Right? To, to take... Do you remember when John Benet Ramsey was around? How many of you remember that story about John Benet Ramsey? right? so she was what, the seven, eight-year-old that was, the you know, and she was part of that group of people that she might have been nine or ten, not how old she was, but she looked like she was 17 when they put her in the beauty pageant. Remember that? And then she was kidnapped and abused, and they found her. And I'm not, I'm trying not to. I forget we've got kids in here tonight, so I'll try to be careful. So, um, and everybody thought that was horrible. And as we started looking and seeing what they were doing to these to these kids for, in the name of beauty, we were like, that is wrong for them to... to uh, that's abuse, right? To change, to alter someone's 10-year-old looks to, to look that much different. That's abusive. And now, the state of Indiana, this hugely conservative, ultra, you know, ultra-Republican state, doesn't have the courage to say that parents have to be involved in any decisions like that, that schools can't just help kids. The state of the, our, our Congress didn't pass the law, they didn't have the courage to pass it. I hope someone in our Congress is listening. Shame on them. Shame on them. What are we doing? We are literally just surrendering our kids. And no, no. And so, what we've got to do, folks, is we've got to elevate parenting to a to a degree that when our kids are growing up, they say, you know what? I know my mom's not perfect, I know my dad's not perfect, but I want what they have. Wouldn't that be incredible? That we're raising a generation that wants to that wants to go out and get married and have kids, and that that they don't look at marriage and childbearing as a burden upon their lives, as a curse upon their lives. And that's what's been happening. And we have surrendered that, and now what's happening with this generation, not only do they look at at marriage as a burden, but they look at their gender as a burden. It's because we're not teaching them well about moms and dads. And so let's take some time. Why do we need to learn? Why is this so important? The bottom is really where the answer is, because mom has much to teach you. Look at what the Bible says. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. So this morning we kind of did this, I'll do it again. What's something your mom taught you? What's a law that your mother gave you? What's something your mom taught you? Just, just help me. What's something your mom taught you? Put things, you Put things back where you find them, right? Put things back. It's a good thing, right? It's a good law. Put things back where you find them. Uh, the, my son, forsake not. And, and, and folks, I, we got to be careful here. We do not want to play this game where we like, okay, I know your mom's a little wacko, but What? What? No, we want to elevate mom in the eyes of our children. What's something else your mom taught you? Use your manners, right? Use your manners. Please. We're talking about please and thank you. You guys remember that song? They're called, okay, never mind. It's Barney. My kids grew up in the era of Barney. I'm sorry. Oh, please and thank you. We're talking about you know, using manners. That's what we're supposed to do. Use manners. Give me one more. What's something else mom taught you? Pray. Sir and ma'am, all these things. You get the idea. Moms, moms have much to teach us. And dads, it's us who need to be saying to our sons, my son, don't forsake the law of your mother. Elevate the power of mom. You know, for years, this is. I think that this is credited to Napoleon, if I remember right, but I may be saying this wrong. But it's something like this. The hand that rocks the cradle... Controls the nation. Rules the world. The hand that rocks the... That's the power of mom. We need to elevate mom. We need to elevate dad. Moms, we need to be elevating dads in the hearts and minds of our kids. So that what we are doing is we're saying to them, this is what you want to become. Because I'm not... I am, by the way, not going to blame the government for the condition that we're in. We're the ones that surrendered our kids. That's the problem. It's on us, not on the government. It's on us. How? Where, what do we think we're doing? We've got to, we've got to step up here and and the, and elevate parenting to to what it is. Take a look at Timothy, Second uh, Timothy chapter one. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and am persuaded that it is in thee also. I mean, Timothy is who he is because of the power of two women in his life, mom and grandma. And that's not me saying it, that's God saying it. Timothy is who he is, because these women were in his life. Elevate the position so that our kids are actually drawn to it, instead of repulsed by it. Like, what, why, when did becoming a parent become this thing that we want to avoid at all costs? When did getting married become something we want to avoid at all costs? And, you know... We, we've had the ball and chain jokes for years, and I know we can laugh at them. I'm not suggesting we don't have to laugh at things and have a sense of humor, but I am saying that we want to be careful what we're portraying to kids, because the greatest thing that could ever happen. Now, my family, my family was not the greatest example to follow after, and yet, you know, my mom and dad were married for 25 years. My mom left my dad, married my dad's brother. It was ugly. But I'm the baby of six kids, and so by the time I got around to getting married and having kids of my own, uh, my mom, my uncle, my mom had married, had gotten cancer, and he died one week to the day that Mia was born. She got to see him, or he got to see her. He, by the way, came to know Christ. I fully expect to see him in heaven. My mom got right with God. My dad got right with God. A year and a half later, my mom and dad remarried. And so JD was four, Mia was two, my mom and dad remarried. The only Mamaw and Papa they remember is my mom and dad. At that point, my mom and dad had taken on a spiritual a spiritual life that I wanted them to mirror. And they still talk fondly about Mama and Papa. They don't remember Papa Jeff. Now my other nieces and nephews do, but I'm the baby of the family, and you know, Mia's the baby of twenty-seven grandkids. So You know, so we, it just is what it is. They just missed out on some of that history other than what they've heard about it. Um, I I want to elevate that. Look, look at this. Look what God did with this life, even though uh, it was difficult. Look what God did with it, and to elevate that. Of course, then Mel's mom and dad were married 69 and a half years when mom went to be with the Lord, you know, a month ago. And uh, 69 and a half years. By all means, this is what we want you to do. Marriage is worth entering into and it's going to have some difficulties but it's going to be great and parenting is worth getting into and it's going to have some difficulties but it's going to be great. We need to elevate the position so that our kids and our grandkids actually want to go that direction. Because I'm afraid what we've done is what we're seeing in society right now. They don't want it. And it's what are, we, what are we showing them? Uh, we have much to learn. Look at Proverbs. What's in Proverbs chapter 31? The virtuous woman, right? Who can find a virtuous woman for a price far above rubies? The heart of her husband does safely trust in her. So he, no, she, he shall have no need to spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, this is great. We want to, we want to t- tell our sons, son, this is what it would mean to be getting married. You find this woman, and she will do you good and not evil all the days of your life. Her children shall rise up and call her blessed. Her husband is known in the gates because of her. And look what it says. Who's writing it? The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Let's elevate mom. Let's put mom on that pedestal. That's where she belongs. Let's, Let's make sure that our kids see mom as the queen. Mom is not the chief cook and bottle washer, guys. That's, mom doesn't work for you that's not her job you know it's like well I go out and work and she's supposed to do the laundry no that, you better read your bible all over again your job is to make her the queen and we're going to show that to you and so it's just a it's big deal let's elevate this so that our kids actually want it um, why is it so important because you're learning to treat women the right way Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Not weaker as in she is too weak and can't, can't survive. Um, so um, that, that, you know, I, I'm always reminded when I read this, and I, I've, is, is this. God never looked at the woman and said, it is not good that that woman should be alone. I need to give her somebody to take care of her. But you know what God did when he looked at Adam? It is not good that Adam should be alone. I need to give him somebody to help take care of him. And this is something I just learned today. That word help meet is used, if I remember right, 28 times in the Old Testament. And 20 of those 28 times, it's used in de- in describing God's relationship with us. God being our helpmeet. So unless you think God's your slave, your genie in a bottle, you better quit treating your wife like she belongs to you some weird way. She's your helpmeet. She's not your slave. Like God is your helpmeet. She is your helpmeet. That's a big difference. And when we treat... When we do this, when we elevate the position of mom and then we're, we're doing that by the way we're treating them, then our, our kids come along and say, I want to be a man so I can marry a woman like mom. Do you understand? It changes things. And that's what, we're, that's what he's trying to get across. Uh, so we treat it as a weaker vessel. Uh, Jim Shetler does a great job of this. So Jim Shetler will hold up a, a plastic water bottle and he'll hold up a stemmed crystal goblet, and he will say, you know, he's trying to tell us what it is to be a weaker vessel, and he says, you know, here, and he kind of throws the plastic water bottle out of the kids to and somebody to catch it, and then he tries gets ready to chuck that crystal goblet, and the kids are like gasping, oh! you know, and he's like, no, you know what, this is the weaker vessel, not that it's weak, this is the much better vessel than this, this one you know, it can take anything, but this is the much better vessel. Why? Because it's not easy to replace. This, this is the, the weaker vessel that we need to care for. And so we elevate that position of, of mom and wife in such a way that our kids actually want to seek after it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 will give, put things in perspective, but I, would not, but I would have you know this, and this I just learned yesterday. This is, was a good thing. Listen to what it says. That the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man, right? And we're like, amen. Would you say that again, Pastor, so my wife can hear it? The head of every woman is the man. But let's keep going because what we need to understand is what headship looks like. And the head of Christ is God. All in the same sentence. He's trying to get us men to understand what it means to be the head. Do you see God treating Jesus like cheek, Chief cook and bottle washer here? Is that what you see? Our headship is to reflect the headship of God to Christ. That's not that's not this servant master concept. It's not there. It's just not there. So uh, don't put it. Husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why that he might sanctify it and wash it and cleanse it. And uh, with the word, that he might present this church glorious. And we're to love our wives in the same way so that we might help her, strengthen her spiritually, help her to grow. What are we doing to strengthen our wives? What are we doing to sanctify her, to to help her to grow in the word? Do we even pray for her, pray with her? Do we read our Bibles? What are we doing? This is what we're supposed to. We're supposed to love Christ or love our wives as Christ loved the church. This is the whole point. And when we do that, guys, we take this position of mom and we elevate it so that every thinking, rational girl on the planet is saying, I want to be that. Do you see how this works? That's our goal, is to help our kids with these gender issues, not by banging them on the head, saying, I can't believe you think that way, not by getting frustrated at Washington because it's not Washington, it's us that we would present the, the um, gender that we are and the gender that we love in the right way so that it elevates those positions. And so love your mom, and they learn that from dad. So uh, that's, that finishes up that one. This principle number 16 is do the math. Totally, all, th- these are not connected. Totally. So do the math. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. And this is going to be a lesson on money. He's saying, listen, if we want to be used, son, if you want to be a leader, you're going to have to take, learn how to take care of money. I'm going to say to you, if you want to be used by God, you've got to learn how to take care of your money. I'll prove this to you. If you owe $25,000, you're $25,000 in debt, and God says, hey, I want you, John, to get up and go to Africa and serve, serve me in Africa for the rest of your days. And I would say, uh, okay, Lord, but I need to, stay long enough to pay off this debt first. See how I can no longer be obedient? Because now I am servant to the lender. That's a problem. That's a problem. So he's like, son, we need to figure this out. So I'm going to just give you my my take. I don't know if this is Dave Ramsey approved, but but I think it's God approved, of what what debt is. Um, I do not view buying a house on time as debt. The reason is... You pay, I'm making up figures obviously. You pay $100,000 for a house, and four years later, five years later, when you go to sell it, it's worth $110,000. And so you sell the house, and you pay off your mortgage, and you still have some money in the bank. So you don't have debt, you actually have made an investment, right? That's a good thing. So I don't consider buying a house unless you're just really bad about buying a house. You know? I mean, I suppose there's bad deals out there on everything. But now, if you buy, that, buy a car on time, uh, I saw a car the other day advertised. You know, these are so far out of my ability to fathom. But it was an SUV, and it's like starts at seventy-two thousand dollars. I'm yikes! Okay, uh, seventy-two thousand so dollars. Let's think. Let's think more rationally. So let's let's say we're going to buy a decent vehicle for twenty thousand dollars. So you buy that twenty thousand dollar vehicle. You drive it off the lot, and immediately it is worth sixteen thousand dollars. Immediately, right? You, you can't, no, one, no one will buy your used car for the same thing that they can buy the new car off the lot, so why do they want your... your it's only got 1,500 miles on it, but still, it's 1,500 miles. Why, why don't, why don't I take zero and go pay the same? So immediately you've lost money, right? And so you can never sell that car and pay off that loan until you get that loan paid way down, right? So that's, that, then, is debt. So you can sell the car. You still owe four thousand dollars. That's your debt. So debt, by my definition, is when you sell everything that you can and would sell, and then pay off your debts. That's whatever's left is your real debt. Okay. So, um, and I say can and would sell because um, you know you might have you know you might have a diamond ring that values at five thousand dollars. But your husband gave that to you when, uh, you know, the day you got married. And so you would never sell it. You know, you might be, you might say, Pastor, it's worth a lot of money. Well, good. But if you won't sell it, you know how much it's worth? As far as paying off your debt? Nothing. If you're not going to sell it, right? Great grandma great-grandma has a quilt that, you know, we've had it appraised, Pastor John. It's $2,700. That quilt's worth. Good. Are you going to sell it? No. Okay. You can't use it to pay off your debt then, right? That doesn't make sense. If you wouldn't sell it, you can't count it. And then I say can and would sell, because I, I, teenagers are notorious for this. I've got a baseball card that's worth 1200 bucks, And I always say to them, find a buyer who will give you 1200 bucks, and I'll believe you. But just because Beckett says it's worth 1200 bucks, Beckett's just trying to sell you a magazine and another baseball card. You understand? They're not really, that's their business. And so... That doesn't make sense. you got to be able to sell it. So I don't care if you say it's worth that. It doesn't matter. If nobody will buy it, it's not worth it, right? So uh, can and would sell, that's your debt. That's what we're talking about here, how we, can, how we can deal rightly with money and be usable by God. So what are God's purposes for money? By the way, they're not always very good. The love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And it brings us into coveting, which some have erred and and uh, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. So money ought not to be something that we're, that we're greatly motivated by, right? The love of money is the root of all evil. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked people. The little that a righteous man has is better. Do we believe that? Do we believe God's word or not? I mean, would you really trade places with the Bill Gates of this world? I mean, think about this for a moment. Would you really? I mean, you've got to think about it. Because the little that a righteous man has is greater than a lot of, of other people's wealth. The, uh, this is an important one, too. And this is as we're thinking about our kids. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. Right? The Lord does this. Now, if we set out to do it, that's when we, we become the love of money and it becomes the root of all evil and that, that's when we become it's a problem. Now, is God against money? You know some of the richest people that ever lived were God's people? Solomon, David, Abraham. They were wealthy men. Wealthy men very wealthy men. Very wealthy men. But can you notice something? That God made them wealthy. David was just a little shepherd boy. God moved him. God said to Solomon, Solomon, pick something that you want, I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God said, because you chose wisdom over riches, I'm going to give you both. But God did it. You understand? It's God. So God makes poor. God makes. Do we believe that for our kids? Do we really, honestly, are we going to say to our kids that every decision that they make about school and about their future is all about money? Is that what we're setting them up to believe and to think? It's not, a, it's not a good approach to life. It's not. Uh, and in the end, God's going God's to gonna decide anyway. Riches profit not in the day of wrath. You know what? When we stand before God, where's your money? If riches do not profit in the day of wrath. In the day of the judgment, we, we stand before God without the money. And so we need to get a good perspective on money. But God has good purposes for money, so let's take a look at them. Better is little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Jesus said lay out of yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt where thieves break through and steal but lay up of yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. And he said take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he, again God's not against things some of the richest people ever to live were God's people It's not that he's against things but in the end this is not what life is made of, right? It's not. Um, your, your pastor has never owned a home. Ever. I've never owned a home. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I've never owned a home. But you know what I have? I have two kids and two in laws that are serving Jesus on a regular basis. Give that to me every day. Every day. Are they perfect? No. Uh, they'll, they'll catch up with Dad one day. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, but it's just that's it's just that's great. Uh, here's what uh, Let's keep going. Um, here's the purpose for money. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather than labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Look at the scripture. You know, this is what we do. We we God gives to us so that we can help others. He doesn't give to us to lay up for ourselves. Remember the guy that did that? He's like, oh, look, I had a really nice crop, so I'm going to build barns, and I'm going to sit back and take my ease for the rest of my life, and thou fool, this night shall be that thy soul be required of thee. Right? That's what that's what happens. So, um, So here's what God's purposes are not. Greed, worry, hoarding, lording, you know, holding money over somebody, like, it's a, uh, Parents can do this, right? Grandparents can do this. I'm going to take you out of my will. Seriously? Is, did God give us money to lord over people's lives? Is that, is that what God did? You don't find that in any place in the scripture, at least not where it's encouraged. These are not God's purposes. So this, the, those things I just gave you, those are from me. These, these last things, they're actually from the book, so I'll give them to you from the book. Bathe important decisions in prayer, Right? Are you going to buy a house? Don't do it on a whim, right? You might want to pray about that one for a while. Even that car, right? Important decisions. Things that are going to... You know—you probably don't have to pray about which bar of soap to buy. You know, I don't know that God cares. And uh, so, you know, but pray about the important decisions. Seek counsel, because in multiple counselors, there is safety, right? Always allow for margins and budgeting. Um, you know, if you say... I've got $10, so I'm going to spend, um, you know, $5.74 on this and $3.86 on this, and that leaves me $0.15 cents to be able to buy that little thing of toothpaste or what. I mean, you know, I'm making things up here, right? It, you're you're going to find it difficult to budget that way, right? So you say, I've got $10. I'm going to budget to spend $8, and then if something happens, I've got a couple of extra bucks to, to, you know, for that rainy day. And so he's trying to teach his kids some good things. Learn the value of hard work. <laughs> we can spend a lot of time there. I, I tell our teenagers, my, my class at Suburban gets so sick of hearing me say this, but I say it all the time. It, it, if you want to be a good worker, all you have to do is do two things. Do two things, and you can write your ticket. As a teenager, the jobs you're going to get as a teenager, you know, those, those fast food jobs, that kind of stuff, the, the jobs at the, at the grocery store and the hardware store, those jobs... All you have to do is two things. Show up on time and put your phone away. You do those two things, there's, not, there's no one else. There's 40-year-old men that don't, aren't showing up on time and, and staying on their phones while they're being paid to work. If you'll do those two things, you can write your ticket. You can walk in and say, hey, I need a week off to go to camp. And they'll say, okay, just tell, let us know when you come back. We'll, we'll get you on the schedule. I'm telling you, we're desperate for good hard workers and uh, learn the value of hard work. Learn to be content. We spent a whole series of Wednesdays on learning to be content. Borrow carefully. He doesn't say don't borrow, neither does God. Just borrow carefully and give generously. Those are some good principles for us to put in. Uh, You know, do the math. It's important. It's an important way for us to be usable by God. I've got to hurry to get this done. The last one is don't compare. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they... Measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It is, he's writing to his teenage son and it's notoriously uh, known for teenagers to, to compare, right? To look at other kids and compare themselves to see if they're measuring up. And uh, we, need to, we need to help our kids break away from this, that, that we don't spend a lot of time comparing. The problem is, We have to do it ourselves, and I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about me. Uh, Do you know how many times over the 30 some years I've been your pastor, I have looked at other ministries and thought, "I wish we had that. I wish that was. Wish we could do that." And and or to do it the other way, you know what? Wow, they're only running. Well, we're running 300. We must be doing pretty good. And we begin to compare ourselves to other things. And we're teaching our kids the wrong idea of comparison. And this is something else I learned. I learned this from this book. This is a good thing that he brings to his son. He says God pushes us to his potential. Now, the story in Matthew chapter 14 is the story of Jesus walking on the water. Remember? And the disciples look out and see Jesus walking on the water. And who says to him, if you're really Jesus, let me come walk, to, walk out on the water to you. Who said that? Peter. Peter. So, and you know what Peter what Jesus says? Look there, it's in red. Come. Come on. Now, I have preached, and I have heard it preached over and over again, how great Peter was, because he had the faith to walk out of the boat and all the other disciples stayed, and we're playing the comparison game. We're literally saying, well, compared to the other disciples, Peter was golden, right? And he was. I mean don't misunderstand, that was great that he got out and walked on water. Apart from Jesus, he's the only other man recorded in all of history to walked on water. And Peter did walk on water, right? He did. I mean, not frozen water, right? We understand that. So, uh, but I'm going to say something to you. This is, this is what the guy brought up. It was important. Jesus did not say, Oh, Peter, it's okay. Look at the other guys. They didn't get out of the boat. You know what Jesus said to Peter? Look at it. It's the, end, the last line. Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And really what Jesus is saying is, Peter... If you'd have just not looked around and every, at everybody else, if you just kept your eyes focused on me, you could have gone even further. You could have gone even further. It's amazing how much further you might have gone if you didn't start comparing yourself to other people. But we start comparing ourselves to other people. Well, compared to that church, we're doing okay. I guess I guess we'll just sit back and relax for a while. No, God says to us, "Look out! The fields are wide to the harvest. There's still plenty more to be done." And we could go way beyond what we think. And we have a God who has great dreams for us, right? Uh, this God of ours is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And literally, you know, Jesus is almost saying to Peter, Peter, we could have walked all the way across this lake together if you just hadn't gotten your eyes off of the important goal, Right? Don't compare yourself, it's not don't look at other people's marriages, don't look at other people's pocketbooks and other people's cars and other people's boats, and don't get into that into that rut. It's a bad place to be because what when that happens, we lose our potential, we quit going as far as God might take us, which would be further than we ever might have expected. So it's, it is interesting how that Jesus doesn't commend Peter for walking getting out of the boat. He's like Peter, you should have kept... Just kept the faith. Keep going, keep going, keep going. So that's the end of it. I've got to stop here so we have some prayer time tonight. But uh, a lot of things for you to pray about. I would ask that you would uh, not forget uh, all of those different things that are happening. A lot of heavy-duty things uh, in our church this week. And so um, just bring to the Lord in prayer. And uh, let's see what the Lord does. All right. Lord bless you. Keep you. Make your face shine upon and give you peace. You are dismissed.